You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Time to be honest with me. What are you known for grumbling about? What do you grumble? What are you known for grumbling? What causes you to grumble? Oh, someone was thrown under the bus just then. Wife points to husband. Everything. You know, some of us, some of us, we grumble about the weather, don't we? Let's be honest. I was grumbling yesterday. Oh, this winter. Too cold, bleak, no sun, too much rain. Grumble, 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 grumble. Some of us grumble about our, our, the way our footy team season is going. Does anyone grumble about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a few of us here. We go, injuries, umpires, if only he'd slotted that goal. At... Grumble, grumble, grumble. Some of us, <laughs> and I don't want to cause any grumbling when I even mention this, all right? But some of us in the valley, we grumble about tourists, roads, Yarra Rangers Council, all the good things. I'll stop right now before I cause a lot of grumbling. Now, when I think about grumbling, I think of my grandpa. Now, that sounds rude, doesn't it? He's no longer with us, so he won't know. But look, when I think of grumbling, I think of my grandpa. Now, it's not because he was one of those people that you immediately would look at and think was a real grumbler. Like he didn't, he was actually quite kind and thoughtful and incredibly patient. But because there was one thing that without fail would cause my grandpa, would lead to my grandpa to grumble every single time. Every single time without fail. In the school holidays, which I know some of us are in school holidays at the moment, and for, for me, one of the things that we often did as kids was we'd spend some time staying for a few nights with my grandparents, both sides. But for, for the ones that I'm talking about today, they were in Blackburn. Now, Blackburn is a great part of the world. And we spent days and days and days with my grandparents. We'd play backyard cricket, almost breaking windows. Isn't that an interesting thing when you hit a ball into a window, how much the glass flexes and doesn't break? Uh, Blew me away many, many times. (laughs) Anyway, playing backyard cricket, having fun, drinking endless bottles of Solo while watching the actual cricket while my grandparents snored away, sort of a midday nap. And waking up to my grandma from the kitchen, dancing around and whistling like a bird in the mornings. Fun times. But the thing that I enjoyed the most with my grandparents, and particularly with my grandpa, was the time spent constructing with him in his shed down the back of the property. You know that saying, measure twice, cut once? Do people know that saying? Hillary knows that saying because he would have done that many, many times in his background. But my grandpa was kind of changed the saying. It was like, measure 10 times and then maybe cut once. Yeah? So... He would measure, and then he'd measure again, and then he'd measure again, and then, oh, is it, oh, just make sure it's millimetre perfect. He'd measure again, and then he would move his saw. I was going to bring it, but I forgot to bring it. He'd move this, this beautiful big saw back and forward about as slowly as you could possibly move a saw. 
And of course, you know, I've got my compound miter saw today and I just go, but he took his time. But the thing about it was he was a real craftsman and most of his cuts would be just about as perfect as you'd get off a compound miter saw today. And I have my pa to thank for my love of woodworking and all things building. Anyway, here's the grumble, right? So we'd be doing this. We'd be having fun. We'd be measuring things up. We'd be about on the seventh measure. And then all of a sudden, you'd hear calling out from the kitchen window, Fred! Fred! And, you know, he'd, he'd sort of be startled for a second and then it would start. And I, <laughs> so funny because he'd, he'd be measuring like this. He'd look up. He'd kind of roll his eyes at me, give me a little wink, put the measuring tape back on the workbench, walk back, and he'd hear him all the way. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Why can't she come to me all the time yelling out? Every single holidays. You know, we can all have a bit of a grumble from time to time about things, can't we? Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up our gospel culture series by reflecting on another key one another, and that is Peter's encouragement to followers of Jesus found in 1 Peter 4.9, and it's this. He says, to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So let's pray as we open God's word today and, and continue to grow as people who faithfully follow Jesus, people who believe and embody the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for the wonder of the gospel, the, the wonder, as, as Ray was reflecting on, that we're saved by grace, through faith, not through works, so that none of us could boast. It's just a gift of yours. We thank you for the wonderful gift of the gospel, that we've been saved, that we've been cleansed, that we've been made new, and we are continuing to be made new until that glorious day when you return and will be taken to be with you forever. And God, I pray that in the meantime, as we live this life, a life of purpose, lives of intentionality, lives for the good of others and for your glory, we pray, God, that you would continue to grow us as people who live out the gospel as well, embody the gospel. So today, as we, as we reflect on hospitality without grumbling, Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, taking us deeper, further, um, in the ways of Jesus, so that we would be faithful stewards of the grace we've been given and we would be faithful representatives to those looking on, that they might look to our lives, the priorities we have, the ways we operate, and see no one other than Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Peter is written by Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he encourages believers living in different Roman provinces of Asia Minor to be faithful stewards of the gospel and to endure suffering and persecution by giving themselves entirely to God. Have a read of 1 Peter yourself this week. It's a fantastic read. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter encourages his hearers of what faithful stewardship of the gospel actually looks like, what it looks like. After, after urging believers to avoid doing all the things that the Gentiles, the, the non-believers, 
of the time loved doing, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. He writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful, encouraging passage of Scripture, isn't it? And that speaks right into the heart of our gospel culture series. And in verse 7, Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What's he, what's he getting at there? Well, basically, Peter's reminding believers, if you're a follower of Jesus today, he's reminding you that anyone who wants to follow Jesus to remember that Jesus could be returning any time, any time at all. Jesus could be returning any time. And essentially he's saying, be ready, get primed. Don't be asleep, wake up, see, see that Jesus could return. And not only waiting, like Peter said last week, sort of just waiting for Jesus' return, speeding Jesus' return by remaining active in God's kingdom work. As we wait, my um, ESV study Bible explains this well. He says, The end of all things is at hand does not mean Peter was expecting Christ to return in a few weeks or months. It means, rather, that all the major events in God's great salvation plan, culminating in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, had already occurred. Therefore, Christ's return could happen at any time. It was at hand in Peter's day, as it is still today. But the imminent arrival of the end is not a call simply to look into heaven and wait for Jesus' return. Instead, believers are to be self-controlled and sober-minded so that they may be devoted to prayer and maximize their usefulness in God's kingdom. Isn't that so true? It's so tempting for us all to kind of settle, isn't it, and get comfortable as followers of Jesus, knowing that he's coming. And, and as Ray said, that we can have such confidence of our salvation as well. We know that if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that is our salvation. It's not our works. It's not any other external things. It's nothing else we could do. God has done it all. But the danger is that we can get just a bit comfortable with that, can't we? We can kind of go in, you know, we're in a world that loves leisure, and it's not a bad thing, but even in the church, we can get a little bit lazy boy recliner state and neglect to do the engage in the kingdom work that God has for us. Because after all, what is God's heart? That none should perish, but all would come to repentance. So yeah, God doesn't want us to settle. He wants all of us to play our part in seeing his kingdom come and will be done on earth. He wants us all to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to seeing people who have received the gospel continually growing in and embodying the gospel and those who haven't yet heard the good news to hear it and find true freedom in 
Jesus Christ. In all our days, and this is good, isn't it? This is someone mentioned about praying for people in all stages of life. And this is so true. In our childhood years, in our, in our youth group years, this is what God calls us to. In our working years, in our home-making, child-raising years, in our retirement years, in our final days, in aged care facilities, if that's God's will. That is what it is. Every season of life, we have the joy, we have the privilege of being called and empowered by Holy Spirit to embody and share the gospel with others. So let's do it. All right. Then in verse 8 to 11, Peter shares what this kind of gospel stewardship looks like. It looks like love. Verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. It also looks like using the gifts God's given us to serve other people. Verses 10 to 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And what we're looking at today, it looks like showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. So first, what is hospitality? Let's, let's start with a definition. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary de- defines hospitality as the generous and friendly treatment of visitors and guests or hospitable treatment. And Oxford Languages defines it as the friendly and generous reception of entertainment of guests, visitors or strangers. Now, the word hospitality in, in Scripture, it's found four times in the New Testament, and it's used in two ways, showing hospitality to one another and showing hospitality to strangers. So when it, for the sake of today, we're just going to focus on the one another. But we could confidently, looking at Scripture, and I encourage you to do this, don't just take my word for it, go and do your homework, but we could be confident that the Bible says these three things are very much true. Hospitality is one of the defining marks of a Christian. Hospitality is a defining mark of a healthy, gospel-centered church. And hospitality is something we're called to show to one another, whether we're particularly gifted or see ourselves in that way or not. Those three things are very much true. Peter teaches this in 1 Peter, as we saw, and so does the Apostle Paul in Romans, in Romans 12, 13. Paul encourages Christians to live authentically as true Christians and urges them to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Who knows, sometimes when we read Scripture, we can very easily miss the intent of what certain words are trying to get across. That, that word, seek to show, doesn't sound very strong, does it? It's like, oh, seek to show, I may, may or may not. Well, the original rendering of that particular word would actually be contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality. There's, there's an intentionality, there's a drivenness about it. Basically, followers of Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul, are to continually take action in this area take active steps in being hospitable to one another. 
And you might be aware of this, and we don't often reflect on this kind of things in terms of leadership roles in the church, but hospitality or, or being hospitable is a requirement for any overseer, any elder needs to be hospitable in a church community. You can look at Titus 1.8 or 1 Timothy 3.2 to see that. This much is perfectly clear from Scripture. Showing hospitality is not an optional thing for us as followers of Jesus, but it's actually a key marker that we are maturing, that we are authentic, that we are growing people of faith, people who are actively following Jesus. Just as people will, in a very real sense, just as people will know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way in which we love one another, people will know that we're Jesus' disciples by the hospitality, how hospitable we are to one another. Now, I've said all this and chances are there's some people here maybe feeling a little bit on edge, maybe a little bit glum, even guilt-laden perhaps. Some of you might think hospitality and, and think about those beautiful pictures you see on Instagram or something like that of the, the perfectly made home with the, the, the long table overflowing with food. It's like kind of bending under the weight of all the food. And this table is surrounded. I think we've got a picture of it somewhere. Um, and this table is just surrounded by all these impossibly beautiful, attractive-looking people. And like that's our image of hospitality for some of us. And we just kind of look at our house in our real-life home and kind of think to ourselves, well, that just ain't going to happen. I mean, where, where would they all sit? I've only got this like tiny little table. How could I possibly get people in like that? I just can't do hospitality. Maybe for others, you're in the keeping kids alive season of life where you're struggling, let alone to put baked beans on the table at the end of the night, um, let alone putting on a big show for guests. And, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted even from the thought of being hospitable to others. Your house is a mess and the mere thought of having people into your home sends shivers down your spine. Maybe we've been there before. That would be nice, you say, but that just ain't going to happen this season of life. I can't do hospitality. Or perhaps you're thinking, well, man, I would love to have people over. I've got a, I've got a big enough table. I've even got a big enough house to, to have a few people over. I'm out of the keeping kids alive stage now. But I can barely afford to feed myself. I can barely afford to put food on the table for me, let alone to put food on the table for other people. I just don't see how I can be hospitable when I'm living week to week on my pension or struggling to pay the mortgage with all the rate rises or even severely restricted by the ever-increasing costs of living. I'd love to, but it's all too hard. I just, I just can't do that. Well... Christina Fox, she's a counsellor and a writer for the Gospel Coalition. She writes a fantastic article called Host Without Grumbling. And the link is on our, on our um, YouTube stream as well, if you want to go and find it later. And she pens these words, and these words, I pray, are words that would encourage you and set your heart at ease. She writes, Hospitality in Scripture is a means to an end. Opening the doors of your home in hospitality is the means to inviting them into our lives and hearts. Sharing a loaf of bread with others across the dining table creates opportunity to share with others the bread of life. 
The details of hospitality are the backdrop to the greater story taking place in our home. Scripture encourages hospitality for meeting the needs of the lost and hurting, demonstrating to them the love of Christ. If scrubbing and cleaning becomes our focus, we might miss sharing the mess and dirtiness of our lives with others. If our greatest concern is wondering how a group of people will fit into our home, we'll miss the opportunity to make room in our hearts for people. If we worry about making the perfect meal to serve, we'll miss sharing with our guests the only food that satisfies. Hospitality is an act of service that helps us share the love of Christ with others. Do these insights into hospitality kind of set your hearts and minds at ease a little bit? Hospitality is not so much about the food or whether the environment is insta-perfect. It's not about that. As it is about the culture that we are purposefully fostering and investing and creating in order to welcome people into. And also, the, the nature of hospitality as, as followers of Jesus is that a degree of vulnerability, that we're not going to just kind of put on a mask and pretend to have it all together. But we're going to be real. We're going to let people into our lives, show them the authentic us so they can be the authentic them. And that is, is, I guess, the way that the gospel can be shared and we can build others up. Hospitality is about a, about a posture of welcome, isn't it? The way we spend time with people, showing gen, genuine interest in people, asking good questions that demonstrate to people that we actually care and that we're actually interested in them. The quality of the setting isn't the issue. It the, really is the quality of the company that matters. You can show hospitality to anyone in just about any setting. Does, don't wait for your house to be finished or perfectly clean. Welcome people into the mess of your life and pull out a packet of store-bought biscuits and boil the kettle and get a tea bag out. could be as simple as that. And if, for whatever reason, your house, you feel, just really is not suitable, then you could be intentionally hospitable in any other place. We're very blessed in Hillsville. What do we have? about 50 cafes just over there. <laughs> we could arrange to meet with a sister or a brother in a local cafe. We could meet them, we could meet working people during their lunch break. We could take them a sandwich and we could share a sandwich each. We could invite a young mum and their baby out to a local park and make sure if you do that that you have a coffee, takeaway coffee in tow for the mum, not for the baby, just for the mum, maybe a baby chino for the kid. But, but that, that's hospitality. That, that's as simple as hospitality could be. Meet with someone in an aged care facility. Go that extra mile. We've got members of our church who can't physically be here and in many of our gatherings outside of what is now their home. Let's be people who go that extra mile to visit and maintain connection and cheer on and uplift. Friends, the, the location or quality of setting isn't the issue. It's the intentionality and energy that we bring to that act of hospitality. That'll make all the difference for the, for the one or the few we invest in. And as we offer this hospitality to one another without grumbling, with joy in our hearts for this work, it'll actually add to the quality of the gospel culture that we're able to enjoy and participate in and benefit from here. Now, it's no coincidence, is it, that Jesus spent 
an awful lot of time showing hospitality to other people. If you've never read through the Gospels before, if you're seeking spiritual truth today, I encourage you, start with the Gospel, John's Gospel. Read, read John's Gospel. Um, it's a great place to start. And in it, you'll discover this man called Jesus who was not just a man, as we've been talking about earlier, but he was the very Son of God, God in human form. And Jesus spent an awful lot of time mingling with people that today we're tempted not to mingle with. He spent a lot of time eating and drinking with people that today we, for whatever reason, we often don't have the time for. And Jesus was doing this so often that he was actually labelled as a glutton and a drunk. Like, I don't know if that's ever really hit home for you before, but This is what people's view of Jesus' lifestyle was. It's like he's always eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. Singers, he might have been doing it with singers as well, and and so much so that that he he they people looked at him and thought he was a drunk. They thought he they thought he was a glutton. Of course, he wasn't because he was without sin. But you know that was the perception that people had of our saviour, Jesus. You can read that in Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus knew that there was a certain power about sitting intentionally with another human being. He knew the power of that moment. He knew the power in simply breaking bread together, eating and drinking, listening and talking, with the emphasis on the listening before the talking. Being present, taking the time just to be with people. And here's the thing. Jesus, in showing true hospitality to to people then, but by extension to all people who trust in him, he didn't just deal with people's physical hunger and thirst, but he fed them spiritually too, as living water, as the bread of life. He did that throughout his earthly ministry, Read that all the way through the Gospels in the moments of sitting physically in people's presence and in the ultimate act of hospitality, he did so one time for all when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind, opening the way for all people, should they choose to become members of his family, adopted sons and daughters of God and have a seat at his own table. As John Piper, pastor from the US says, he says the ultimate act of hospitality was when Jesus Christ died for sinners to make everyone who believes a member of the household of God. We are no longer strangers and sojourners. We have come home to God. Everybody who trusts in Jesus finds a home in God. And friends, it's this truth, the wonder of being shown this radical hospitality by our very maker, this wonder of the gospel that should, or I would say, if you even think about this for longer than five minutes, this will be the thing that will lead you to offer genuine, heartfelt hospitality to others without grumbling, without grumbling. Think about it. How can we possibly grumble? 
How could we possibly grumble at the thought of spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ when we think about how God went that extra mile, went to that level to open the door to us, to welcome us in and treat us with radical kindness and grace with our own spot at his table? Like, how, how can we, really? I mean, I know we can because sometimes in life we don't gel with everybody and we can find things hard, but if that is before us always, that we remember Jesus made the way, we've been welcomed in, we've been adopted into his own family, we have a place at Jesus' own table, Jesus has shown ultimate hospitality to us. If... If that can't lead us to offer genuine hospitality to others, there isn't anything that can. As Christina Fox rightly says, she says, God calls each of us to practice hospitality whether it comes easy or not. And for those of us who hesitate for one reason or another, it becomes an act of obedience to our Saviour who has opened his own home for us through his shed blood on the cross. How can we do any less than open our own hearts and homes to others? Friends, with the gospel as our foundation and guide, we can follow Jesus' teaching. With the Holy Spirit's power blowing wind into our sails, we can follow Jesus' ways. We can play our part in seeing a healthy gospel culture continue to flourish here in our church community. And we will, every single one of us, every single one of us, this will be true. We will reap the rewards of our efforts if we do. The question is, will you? Will you? Will you join with Holy Spirit and commit yourself to these holy pursuits? Will you allow the gospel to not just be something that you believed once and you you trusted in it for salvation, but to be the very fuel, the very fire that spurs you on for living and embracing the abundant life that Jesus has called you to and has won for you? Will you allow the gospel to take root in your heart and then embody it, live it out as you honour, love, and share hospitality to your sisters, your brothers, here in our church community. When I started this series, I said this line, and I want us to remember this. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture equals power. Gospel doctrine, right? Believing, understanding, belief in the gospel, and gospel culture the living out, the embodying of the gospel in our individual lives equates to power. It's a powerful experience for us individually. It's a powerful experience for us collectively. But here's the thing, friends, and this, this is my heart. You know this. I always harp on about things like this, but this, that's because it's God's heart. This is a, will be a powerful witness as well to all the people who observe our lives individually as we go about our everyday lives, living for Jesus, embodying the gospel, as they observe our lives, as they interact with us as a church community in all the ways we gather and have fun, 
all those ways as we show hospitality to one another, that will be a powerful witness to the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and invite God to guide us by his Holy Spirit in this gospel culture work. Here at Liberty, for those who call at home and for those who are visiting or online and this isn't your spiritual home, to go back to your communities to live out, not only believe the gospel, but live it out powerfully with God's enabling power. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that that your gospel is such good news. It is the good news. But it's not just the good news for the one time so that we get saved and we get a ticket to heaven. That would be tragic if we saw it in that way. The gospel is the very power to change things, to change our lives, to change the way we interact with other people, to to govern the way in which we worship you, the kind of people we are, the kind of ways we act, the kind of things that we value, all these kind of things. The gospel is not just to be believed, but it's to be embodied as well. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that as you do that work in us, we can't do it alone, God, but because we were never meant to try to do it alone. So, God, help us to to just not get caught in the trap of striving and, and doing it all by our own strength, but relinquishing control and allowing you to do this work in our hearts. Bring the gospel alive to our hearts, God, so then we would be people like Jesus as we're led as we're empowered, as we're fueled by you, Holy Spirit, to be people who honour others, people who, who um, just love others, people who show hospitality to others, just as you did, Jesus. God, we pray that we would get the joy of seeing others benefit from our resolve to join with you in these holy things. God, that we would get the benefit as well from experiencing the kind of Christian community, that early church community that we see in Acts, that, that it was we get to experience that, that we get to participate in that, that we get joy from that, Lord. But most importantly, Lord, we pray that you would get all the glory from it as we all give ourselves to this holy work, so to speak. May you be glorified and, Lord, may others looking in have their curiosity kind of come to mind. Like, wow, what is this? These people are different. What is it about this person? What is it about this this guy in my workplace, this girl in my workplace? Who is this? Why is this mum full of joy when her life's like this? God, all these kind of things that you would use us to draw other people to you and that, God, we would see many, 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 many people come to embrace life in Christ through faith in Christ. And we pray this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.